As a rider, safety is part of your routine. It's second nature. Does that mean safe isn't exciting? Or could safe actually make everything else possible, like jumping higher or running to rope that calf? Safe gives you the freedom to ride the way you love. And safe provides high quality nutrition you need to have confidence all your horse's needs are met. Make safe exciting with safe choice feeds. Learn more about the full lineup at neutrinoworld.com slash safe choice. Hi, everyone. My name is Elizabeth. I'm a social worker in North Carolina and a young-ish Black equestrian. And you are tuned into the Young Black Equestrian Podcast. I am. I am. I am. I am a young. I am a young. I am a young. I am. And I am a young. Black. A young Black. Young Black. A young Black. Black. Black equestrian. 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 Black equestrian. Equestrian. Black equestrian. Equestrian. I'm a young black equestrian. I am a young black (laughs) equestrian. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Young Black Equestrians with your host, Abriana Johnson. Today, I am joined by Elizabeth, who I am already, as soon as she got on camera, like complete vibe, okay? Because <laughs> we got the hats on and, you know, I, I've been reading up on her website about all of the work that she does and how it integrates with horses. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I am so happy, Elizabeth, to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm so excited. I think I found you or I must have found you somehow like on Twitter or something. And I was like, what is this gal doing? So I love your work. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. But we are not gonna, we're not even gonna talk about me. Okay. (laughs) This is all about you. All right. So just start off by telling me about yourself. You know, who are you and where are you from? Awesome. Uh, Well, my name is Elizabeth McCorvey. I'm currently living in Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is outside of Asheville, North Carolina, if you're familiar in the mountains. Um, And I'm a social worker. I have been, um, gosh, involved with horses since I was maybe 10. I'm 30 now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is the horse capital of the world and the Mm -hmm. thoroughbred capital of the world, if you're picky from Florida yeah. uh, <laughs> and um, I got involved with um, working with horses and then therapy when I was in graduate school mm-hmm. um, so for the last 10 years or so I've been working on integrating horses and working with people uh, from a mental health perspective and helping people heal mm-hmm. um, all of their trauma and anything that you can bring to therapy, you can bring to a therapy office, you can bring to therapy with a horse. So I love doing that. Right. And I'm also um, recently, just recently within the last year or so involved uh, with an organization that uh, we're creating some diversity, equity, and inclusion programs for people who want to, for white people who want to learn and unlearn how racism and and um, colonialism manifests in their lives um, through working with horses. So lots of exciting stuff. I love that. I love that so much. I can't wait to see how that develops. But um, how did you, how did you get into the mental health field in itself? Yeah. um, So I'm a social worker. I went to undergrad at the University of Kentucky and I got my bachelor's in social work. Mm -hmm. And then sometime in graduate school or between undergrad and grad school, someone was like, um, you know, you might really enjoy being a therapist. Probably they said that because I'm opinionated and I like to tell people what to do, although that's not really what therapy is. Um, but at some point I really got the felt sense that I really love working with people. I love hearing people's stories. I love, um, making connections. I love, um, helping being alongside people's journeys. And so that is what I get to do as a therapist. And it's so fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've learned a lot of that, uh, recently for myself 
not really in the therapy realm, but in the coaching capacity. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how that plays a part in the work that you do. Yeah. So my coaching is specifically around uh, Mm anti-racism. And so I work with therapists who want to figure out how racism might be showing up in the therapy room, because anytime you work with clients of different walks of life, um, everything that's part of their story comes into the room with them, including race. Um, And so in my coaching, I work with therapists and mental health professionals who really want to take a deep dive into how um, their upbringing might impact the way that they show up with clients um, and the way that their perspective is shaped by the society around us. Yeah, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I know through my own therapy journey, I have definitely targeted black women as, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the people that I want to have that vulnerability with. Mm -hmm. And it's simply because if I say something to you, I don't, I don't want to have to explain every every ounce of my experience because when you share kind of that kind of position in right. society, some things don't need to be said. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. and so that's that's very important for people, especially as they are trying to find therapists. You know, mm-hmm. it's not therapy doesn't work or gosh, I had a bad therapist. It's like ah. But does your therapist show or have lived experiences that are similar to yours so that they can make informed recommendations for your situation? Exactly. You said it. It's it's because um, I live in a community that's very, very predominantly white. And so um, Black women, Black folks don't have the option of of choosing a Black therapist for them. And so it's so important for me in my community that the white therapists who are going to see their Black clients know a little cultural humility. Yeah. Mm Because there are some things that don't translate um, Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's okay, but the understanding needs to be had, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I need my therapist to say, if I have a white therapist, I need them to say, I know that I don't know what I don't know. And I know that our experiences are very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. So how does your kind of your, your proximity to anti-racist education and the coaching, how does that influence your, or how has it influenced your opinions or your experiences within the horse industry? I think that's a good question. I think as many young black female equestrians or any young equestrians of color know, um, our industry is saturated with whiteness um, and not just the white people, but like white culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when I think about the differences between like black cowboys and um like like the history of what it's looked like for people of color and black people to be involved with horses it is so different than like the dressage like uptight this and I can speak to this because I I am I'm an inventor so um, I know what it's like to you know get dressed up and you're and you have to there for a while you had to wear black black boots it wasn't cool to wear brown boots and it's like Mm -hmm. so much politics and um anyway and so I think that um I was like that growing up and I didn't really step back and take a look at how that influenced the way that I showed up um in the horse world until the last five or ten years because I think that it was so I mean I was just trying to survive (laughs) out there Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and when we're many of us (laughs) yeah yeah and so I just wanted to enjoy myself I was just trying to fit in I was just trying to look the way I needed to look because like I know that when I ride a dressage test I know that I already don't look like everybody else Mm -hmm. that is riding that same dressage test so even if I do it perfectly Mm -hmm. um you know like so many of us have been taught we have to do twice as well to get half as much so Mm -hmm. I have to be that much more perfect because I already don't fit the the aesthetic of what people are used to seeing um what judges are used to seeing and I don't know what biases they have subconscious or not might be impacting the way that I ride something 
Mm -hmm. um, versus the way a, a white writer might write something. Um, and so when I was competing a lot, I was just trying to like fly under the radar. But now that I've been able to really take a look at how my race has impacted the way that I've shown up in horse sports, I'm like, you know, wow, like that, that probably, I mean, I know that didn't feel good to be the only person that looked like me. It didn't feel good to have people say, um, oh, is that your horse? Oh, is that your truck? Oh, is that your trailer? Oh, are you leasing that? Like none of that feels good. And it impacts the way that I'm able to enjoy the sport. And yeah. uh, I'm not sure if that was your question, but that's just what that made me think of. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And something that you said was that you, despite having to show up and perform at your at your best at what you practice at, you still had to fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, I think that's important to explore as we are, you know, trying to get kids into equestrian life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how many episodes of the podcast you've heard or if you went back to the beginning, but I am a trail rider. I mm -hmm. have shown in hand, like, so I've done a little bit of showing. I understand it. I grasp it, but I'll like horses are leisure for me. I right. want to to go out and ride in the woods and come home, party <laughs> and hang out with the rest of the black people that like horses. <laughs> so, so a lot of my, um, my experience kind of from the outside have been in horse sports a little bit because I showed locally, but also outside looking in, you know, you want to perform and you want to show up for not only your horse, but the judges yet still having to fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. How do we excel in, under those conditions? How do we excel under those conditions? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important for people to understand. And when I'm having conversations with, you know, like I was, I'm on the um, DEI committee for Yousef it's like, you, you need to understand that people are, they're walking a fence, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're walking a fence of, of showing up and, and being known and, you know, really wanting to give it their all, but not so much that they're singled out. Yeah. You know, drawing, drawing that much attention to themselves has, historically proven, especially in the horse industry to not always be the best. Mm -hmm. So how do you do both? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talking about that just made me think about um, the amount of stress that I think that those of us who do show have, to, and I don't show anymore, but just the amount of stress that we had to carry. Like, mm -hmm. I can't just show up at the horse park after dark um, and not think about like, is my, if I have like a wristband, is that clearly showing? If I, um, if I'm showing up after hours and I need to show my health papers to the person, like, is that safe for me? Like, are they going to be like, what are you doing here? Are they going to be suspicious of me? Like, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot. And so then I, that's the additional stress that I'm carrying into a competition and that's not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, I completely understand. And then on top of that, we talk about how sensitive horses are. Mm -hmm. So how are we to, to go into this already stressful environment and be expected to compete with our partners when mm -hmm. we're harboring mm -hmm. that, that stress consciously or subconsciously at right. this point, like dealing with horses, it really don't matter. Right. <laughs> right. The energy is there, period. Right. Um, you know, how does that affect our relationship with our animals? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you know that made me think of too? Do you, I'm sure you, that whole, that whole catastrophe in the Olympics, uh, where that, that little white rider like got mad at her horse during that, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like mm -hmm. the, uh, try out, not try out, whatever the trash. Yeah. Thing. Pen, pen, pen tat something where the yeah, they did, the modern yeah, yeah. Like, get all the, what all you the said just made me think like, can you imagine if that was a black, a black person? Child, the way <laughs> they would have drugged, they would have stopped. Ah, stop. Yeah. yeah. Stop, stop the play. You know, yeah. we got to stop the whole Olympics because yeah. somebody going to jail. Yeah. 
yeah yeah i mean that's that is just the the reality that we're that we're living in and it's always important when having conversations of you know getting kids into the the mm-hmm. industry and um you know urban youth programming and all of these nonprofits and stuff that have uh, well not that they have popped up they just come to my mm-hmm. attention they're already there mm-hmm. um is so important to me for the deliverers of that program mm-hmm. you know to look like the kids that are gonna be in the program mm-hmm. because how else are you going to be un- be able to understand how they're showing up or what they experience if you have no idea what kind of life the kids have lived mm-hmm. from the program that you're like the kids that you're serving mm-hmm. wow. yeah and not only that but like oh there's so much that goes into it so not only like their lived experience but also like that culture's relationship with animals over time like what has that been like mm-hmm. that culture's relationship to nature over time mm-hmm. um this makes me think of I listened to a podcast recently on NPR that interviewed um the uh that black forager um oh yeah 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 yeah. I know who you're talking about and she was quirky and yeah 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 Uh and she was just talking about how um historically in black communities what it's looked like to be have a relationship with the land um then be enslaved have to be forced to work on the land then moved into um cities where then you're divorced from the land and then it's just like the journey that we've had to go through and developing our relationship with land and with nature and with animals and how that's been so fraught um, in modern history. And so I think that that's also knowledge that we have to take into account that professionals need to take into account when we're talking about working with marginalized communities and our relationship with animals. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just because there's so many different, there's a million different ways to have a relationship with an animal and everything uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Veronica Lack, who founded the Herd Institute in Florida, which is an equine-assisted mental health um, modality, um, she always says that one thing that's important to remember is that everything that we know about horses or that we're taught about horses, um, at least in the United States, is through a white man's perspective and how that is so influential in the ways that we relate to animals. And like, what would it mean for me to go back into my history and develop a dif- different understanding of what it means for me and my cultural heritage to relate to animals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I recall uh, when I got my horse as a weanling in college, um, my dad was like, so what's he gonna do? Is he gonna like pull a plow? <laughs> and I was like, um, who who has a plow? Uh-huh. Who be outside plowing? Not us. <laughs> So why would he pull a plow? <laughs> but but learning learning his history and experience mm-hmm. with horses and I talked about that. I had a interview my parents on the last episode. Um, just him sharing like, oh, the horses like we put them on a cart for mm-hmm. work. And he was he was talking about like how they were breaking horses, you know, for the ones that he had, and mm-hmm. he was like. Ah, we just put sacks on them because we couldn't afford to get hurt because we right. had to work. Right. And so it's just like that, like, you know, people nowadays would probably like flip over the table. Oh, yeah. Like, oh my God, yeah. oh my God. But then it's like, you know, some people can't afford to be out here cowboying these, right. these animals because they have to go to work. They got to make money. They got to support their families. You know, mm-hmm. the horses were not a they were a tool right so what do we not a hobby not a hobby and so how do we not invalidate that experience oh yeah they didn't put themselves in that circumstance you know but it's it's still valuable it's still there it's still a a connection Mm -hmm. so I think about that a lot yeah yeah I think that's so relevant Neutrina presents an uncompromising approach to superior nutrition. 
Nutrient-dense Empower products are scientifically designed for low feeding rates. Empower Digestive Balance supports overall gastrointestinal health and helps maintain normal gastric pH to keep them feeling their best. Empower Top Line Balance focuses on top-line health and improvement and now includes chromium to support insulin-resistant horses. For more information on Empower products, visit NutrinaWorld.com. Tell me about more of the the um kind of anti-racism culture yeah and what that that would look like for someone who is interested because let me tell you like I should have known because like entrepreneurship is like mm, I just love it but I have been on some basically what it sounds like what you do like talking to other entities about DEI work for free mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. see, I done looked at her website now, daggone it. Uh, what is it said? I'm not teaching y'all about <laughs> anti-racism for free anymore. I was like, no. You know what? You're exactly right. So tell me what that looks like for, for someone who would be interested in that. Yeah, well, and let me say, I still do a lot of anti-racism work for free. <laughs> you know what? It is, I mean, it is what it is at this point. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you mean specifically with um, horses or what I do um, just like in my non-horse related? So let's start with horses. Let's start with Yeah. Horses. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm most excited about, actually. So um, I'm partnering um, with, well, I'm not partnering with them. Actually, I'm faculty in training at the Herd Institute, um, again, which is a equine assisted psychotherapy um, it's an agency that teaches therapists how to partner with horses mm-hmm. um, in therapy with clients. And so I'm in the process of getting certified with them so that I can um, co-facilitate uh, teaching therapists how to work with horses in that capacity. And um, we're also, I'm also working with Dr. Lack, who is the founder, to create a program that is specifically geared towards therapists, mental health professionals that will bring them on the farm and we'll have the horses around and we will do some um, different equine facilitated learning activities designed to help people, therapists, uncover different blind spots and biases and create mission statements and um, work with and help them identify ways that they can work with clients in a more culturally informed way. And so we're doing this with individual therapists, like you, an individual therapist can sign up for a workshop, but we're also doing it for agencies like um, programs that do um, uh, equine therapy, mounted equine therapy, like therapeutic riding agencies. because they have plenty of really awesome people that work with people of lots of different walks of life and they wanna learn how to do it in a culturally informed way. So um, it's, uh, it's really exciting. We just started rolling out that program this year. We have our first one coming up, our first day long retreat happening in February of this year. Um, and it's gonna be really fun. I think it's, it's a really cool way for people to engage in um, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, training, like mm-hmm. not in like a dry office setting, mm-hmm. like that can be valuable, like looking at a PowerPoint and like learning things. And that can, that can be super valuable. I also, I do that on the side mm-hmm. and imagine like integrating that learning in such a different way that is a little less, um, intimidating in some ways you're outside. So you're able to access all those different, like coping skills, like taking a walk, being able to lay hands on an animal, like Mm -hmm. all those different coping Mm -hmm. skills to help you ground as you learn about some potentially triggering content. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's just going to be really valuable and I'm excited about it. I am super excited about that as well. I um, have started doing um, leadership development in Mm -hmm. the equine experiential learning field. And um, it's amazing the transformations that you're able to get you know we've been having to do a lot of virtual stuff so that has its place but you know getting that in-person um you know understanding and Mm -hmm. experience and Mm -hmm. and that um I'm there's a word that I'm looking for that I'm I'm blanking on but just being cognizant of what the horse is seeing 
mm-hmm. and how they're kind of playing off of your energy and yeah. that response, that response yeah. and being able to translate that, you know, cause as a facilitator, those are, that's our job is to, mm-hmm. to translate, to facilitate the conversation and then translate the response. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think what's cool about the, the work, at least in the way that we do it is that um, it doesn't always require translation because we're mm-hmm. able to help people. People are feeling um, shifts in the moment, like, oh, I'm realizing that I have this reaction to this and here's how I want to do something differently moving forward. And they actually get to do it right. versus, um, in my coaching sessions where I'm, um, where I'm presenting material, like in an office setting, then it's like, okay, next time try this. But with the horses, mm-hmm. you get to say like, go out and do it right now, practice it right now, practice this new skill that you're talking about right now with a horse and with people and in a group setting. And um, I really love that. Yes, yes, yes. That is something else I wanted to bring up because um, it is something that I have, that has become so important for me. And you said it on your website. Um, The taking like consistency and balance and understanding what that means in relation to what you say your goals are Mm -hmm. and what you actually do to Mm -hmm. meet those goals. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. It, it drips with the expectation of authenticity as well as action. Mm -hmm. So let me, tell me, tell me how you kind of got to that point. Yeah. um, So I think at least in regards to anti-racism and diversity and equity inclusion, a big thing I was noticing is this discrepancy between like what agencies and what programs, what individual therapists were saying on their private practice websites Mm -hmm. versus what they were actually doing. So Mm -hmm. like if you're an agency or a program, whatever, don't come at me with your anti-racism statement when your president and the board of directors are all white, cisgender, able-bodied people. And most of the people that are in positions of power who are paid are white, cisgender, able-bodied people. Um, And then the people on the ground, there might be some people of color. And then obviously your secretary is a bilingual Latina person because you need someone who speaks Spanish. (laughs) Like the, Uh the, the, what you're saying, like if you put out a statement after George Floyd was murdered and then now, two years later, everything about your agency still looks the same. Miss me. <laughs> Miss me. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I really work, I work with people who are ready to identify that that's what's happening and are ready to be challenged on what they can actually do to make things different. Yeah. I work with people who want that consistency. Right. Right. They're not just saying they want that consistency, but are not prepared to actually do anything about it because I'm not afraid to drop people. (laughs) Yes. 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 I feel that. How has that shown up for you personally in your life and with your, your own goals? I love that question. Cause if I'm going to talk about being consistent, I also have to be consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's been doing a lot, a lot, a lot of training and receiving education from people who are on the margin. Like, for example, last year, um, my goal was that I was going to um, soak in as much learning about the about transgender folks as I possibly could. And I was going to learn and pay transgender people to help me understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the year before, yeah, gosh, time is so weird. Last year's 2021. The year before is 2020. <laughs> so yes, was, yes. Yeah. So that was a really amazing time to soak up all of the learning that uh, people of color, Black people had to offer about the history of our country and where we've come from, where we are, what needs to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's not to say that on all the other years, I'm not learning about everything all the time. But I think that we've got so many amazingly educated people who have lived experience who have so much to tell us that are not necessarily in um, professional settings like mm-hmm. um, I don't want to learn from people who don't have the lived experience anymore I want to learn from people who are impacted and so that's been my goal is paying people to tell me about their experience about things that 
I'm privileged to not know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, I love the fact that, that you, you pay for these things, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, that is one of the biggest pain points of this work of the the exchange of information. It's like, oh, I want to learn it, but I don't want to support you. Mm-hmm. get it you know mm-hmm. like, how yeah <laughs> we're excited to do so much work for free <laughs> um and I'm lucky that I have um I've got a really wide circle of of people of all different walks of life and so sometimes we'll do some I mean money is not the only thing that values so sometimes we'll like, right. do some changes like I'll sit down with um I've got several therapist friends who are trans or differently abled or disabled mm-hmm. and so we'll just do like an information exchange and we'll that will consult I'll consult with them on cases of their clients of color they'll consult with me on on my cases with uh trans and non-binary clients and so um we really get building a community of people that have different lived experiences has been also mm-hmm. a really important goal of mine because yeah. my experience is not the only one <laughs> Yes, 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 absolutely. I love, I mean, I love that you brought that up because that brings up a whole nother, another conversation about the importance of community Yeah, and how not only, you know, in your professional setting that how ha- that has shown up, but as Black horse people, as mm-hmm. Black horse folks, um, that is, that is what this podcast is about. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you may not have that community. You may not be able to see them in your day-to-day life, but we're out here. Mm -hmm. We're out here and we all have different lived experiences and it should not only comfort you to know that there are other people experiencing the same thing as you, it should also inspire you to know that we are all completely different and these are the Mm -hmm. possibilities Mm-hmm. that are available to you so mm-hmm. how have you been able to find community within the horse industry that's hard that's hard there are a few well more than a, more now than when I was eventing um mm-hmm. regularly um mm-hmm. I remember I'm remembering being at a competition and like seeing another black person like walking around with their horse and I was like ah. <laughs> <laughs> um and um god that also makes me remember how people would um because I competed a lot and then people would come up and be like oh Elizabeth I remember you and I'm like yeah I know you remember me because I'm the only person that looks like me (laughs) and I have no idea who they are um (laughs) anyway that's beside the point um I think that since I've stopped competing, it's been harder to find a community of people. Mm-hmm. The way that I've been able to do that um, is by, is through social media is I love following black equestrians on um, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, mostly and Facebook, and just like seeing their like brown, wonderful brown faces while they're jumping yeah. their horses or shooting their arrows or doing dressage or doing all these things. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's been so helpful for me because I did not have that when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, seeing other people that looked like me. And it's, yeah. it's so wonderful to see. I love watching black people ride horses. I love watching black people do all their, um, I saw a TikTok the other day of someone who did a weave on our horse. And I always thought yes. like if black people, if we were like in the more dominant in horse sports, can you imagine the hairstyles? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what mm-hmm. a dressage ring, like a competition would look like? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's does mean. I was like, if I've gotten this TikTok like 20 times today, y'all. Like, (laughs) how about y'all go check out her episode on YBE? (laughs) Because she, I mean, she's great. She's absolutely. And then it's like, you know, Chanel with main tresses. She literally has a business doing the same exact thing. And it's like, that is that is only something that we would be to pull off. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that. I mean, social media has definitely been integral in bringing, bringing us together, especially, you know, the people who don't have, you know, anyone around them Mm -hmm. that 
that they can relate to and um, share, you know, the things going on in their their day to day lives. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you come across other black equestrians and you know just different interactions, whether it be social media or in person, mm-hmm. um, what what level of, um, I guess, learning do you come across? Let me reframe. Um, I have been, you know, in the social media online space, you know, connecting with people. And I feel like there is a assumption sometimes that we are Black equestrians. We're going to think the same. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, a compartmentalizing of, mm-hmm. of us, like, you know, yeah, it's YBE, but we, like, we literally, everyone does completely different things. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we don't have the same ideas. We don't agree all the time. We don't have the same training methods. We don't have the same standards of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the same budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, like, what have you, um you know, noticed in that kind of variation just within the the Black horse community? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think that, let me, so one thing that this brought up for me was just how behind I think that the equestrian world is in understanding diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think that what you're talking about is that like, the equestrian, so much of the the equestrian community, and I say that meaning like the white dominant equestrian mm-hmm. community, like people in power, like yeah. USA, USAF, all of the FEI, all of the major figureheads. And right. so I think that the trap that they get caught into that trickles down mm-hmm. in its messaging to individual people is that black people are a monolith and that we all have the same ideas. And that means that um, we're even more, I think, under a microscope individually. So like mm-hmm. if one black person does one thing wrong with, with a horse, like mm-hmm. actually I remember two years ago, there was a, there was a black man who in an effort to get a message across about, I think racism in America, he like rode a horse on a highway mm-hmm. and there was this like huge thing about it. And all the message board, Facebook, all of that was popping off about it. Yeah. And it just really felt like there was no opportunity to discuss like his in his particular relationship with horses and what because like the whole community was like oh the horse shouldn't be on concrete and his hooves and it's he's clearly lame and all of this stuff mm-hmm. and I think that there's a broader conversation to be had about like what is his relationship with horses what are they typically used for what is mm-hmm. I don't know. And so I feel like, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm just thinking about how, like, it felt like, okay, black people need to respond to this to show that we know how to do horses because we're all, they'll think that we're all like him because we're viewed as such a monolith still Mm -hmm. in that community because the white dominated equestrian world in this country is so, uh, so behind that. I feel like we're having to defend things and make arguments in the equestrian community that I had that I was making 10 years ago in other communities right right yeah yeah because there's so few of us been having to be on defense thinking yeah the conversation is like look what the black people are doing (laughs) to their horses like I had a conversation with somebody about how um about like discrimination in horse sports and one thing I brought up was like like with helmets for example and how they're like if they don't accommodate my afro and my big hair like then they're literally not safe for me mm-hmm. and the person that I was talking to it was a it was a white a white woman and she like couldn't wrap her mind around how that was a form of discrimination how that was a form of systemic discrimination and it was like even the, with the argument, like, I literally cannot find a helmet that is safe for my head without paying for like custom, like something that's custom, which I have to have a financial means to pay for that. Like, that means every time I get up on a horse, I am literally more at physical risk of mm-hmm. a brain injury. How is that not systemic to you? And so I feel like 
because a lot of the white folks in the are in the horse community are at a privileged point and when you're privileged certainly socioeconomically that means that you don't have to interact with black people on a day-to-day basis because of you know how things work in this country and so I feel like a lot of the people in power just don't have proximity to black people and are not in community with black people to be able to have some of these conversations that would take us forward and right the horse community yeah yeah and even even with that even the helmet that because I I I did like a vlog of going into Dover and had a friend walk me through and you can see people in the background, like, mm-hmm. yes, I will try all 10 of these helmets because mm-hmm. they don't fit, mm-hmm. you know, but, but not even, it, it's like the, the helmet that I found that fit me, it was an adjustable Troxel helmet, mm-hmm. but what it, like, people think Troxel is like the cheap. Like mm-hmm. oh, that's that's the cheap version. Right. Right. I'm gonna get looks if I wear that in a show ring. Then right. what? <laughs> but now what? Like I can't win. <laughs> I can't win. It fits my head. It fits all this hair. Yeah. Um, but even like with the it's it's like a lot of times white people in the horse industry have a hard time feeling like they are privileged because they work hard. Yes. And that <laughs> is that ain't the same. No, those two things do not cancel each other out. Right. Privilege does not mean that you don't work hard. Right. Privilege means you can go in and and buy a helmet and not have, it it don't matter how much the helmet costs. You can go in, say, you know what? My trainer recommended that one. I'm going to get that one. Put Mm -hmm. it on what size I need. Boom. I'm going to get it. Okay. Let's check out. Mm-hmm. whereas I had to spend an hour and a half trying on I tried on I think 12 helmets mm-hmm. before it was like but we're just gonna have to do the adjustable Troxel like right. I went all the way up to velvet and sparkly all the way down to knock knock plastic and had to find what worked mm-hmm. so between that between the the styling of hair in the ring like my friend was like, yeah, well, you're supposed to put a net on your head um, and then put the helmet on. And I was like, girl, I look like that on Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> you had to take this net off. Like, uh-huh. it's just, we just gonna have to go like this. Uh-huh. Like, and so like, those are examples of privilege. And I think that's a big um, mental hurdle that, that oh, yeah. white equestrians have to overcome to understand right. what their privilege even is right. it is socioeconomic differences is an easy answer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's where I feel like we're still we're so behind in conversations mm-hmm. and the white dominated equestrian community where um, because I know the exact conversation you're talking about where people are like, well, I worked every day and I found a barn, let me work off lessons. And uh-huh. I didn't know, I never didn't own a horse until I was 25. And that is why I'm not privileged. Uh-huh. Not even mentioning, of course, that made, I mean, being a, having proximity to a barn that would let you do that, having proximity to a barn that would let you do that, that didn't have people running it that had, um, different, racial ideas that were in favor to you like there's so much that goes into being able being able to do that 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 you're right I think that that is such a huge hurdle um I I I often in anti-racism courses I teach for equestrian people um I hear that argument about um well I have horses and that's why I'm broke people think that we have money but I have horses and that's why I'm broke. So I don't have money either. I'm like, but you, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You could sell off your farm and then be okay. Whereas we're talking like talking about wealth and class differences and like the fact that you have a horse, that you have access to a barn, that you have access to land, that you have access to property, like all of that is wealth. All of that is class privilege, even if you are horse poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're being horse poor is a choice. Yes, it's a choice. 
Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. we just uncovered a whole secret out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in doing this work, because it does get to be heavy sometimes, especially when it's it's met with opposition and people who are not just not understanding. In, in doing the line of work that you do and the experiences that you have, how do you take care of yourself and, and stay true to who you are? Mm. I have hobbies that don't involve horses. I'm a musician, so that helps. Having, um, because um, for me, as the horses become more and more a part of my work life, um, mm-hmm. I have to really differentiate for myself like um what is work and what is play um when do I need to just step away from the barn Mm -hmm. and um you know have them taken care of and be like see in a few days Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because it's hard when your hobby is also your work yeah um and especially like with horses it's like there is no day off as you know there's no day off um Mm -hmm. so knowing when I need to phone a friend and be like or get my partner to like take care of them or someone else feed them um Mm -hmm. so that I can lay on my couch and watch reality tv Mm -hmm. um is really important because there's you know there's no days off from horses and like you said it's a choice Mm -hmm. and I'm privileged enough to be able to say like I need a pinch hitter right now (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah 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 so tell me about your horses what I, I feel like I completely skipped all that <laughs> what horses do you have um and you know I know you said you used to event but what are you doing yeah so um I stopped eventing because you know the farther away you get from eventing the harder it is to get back because like when I see people jumping or I scroll through my Instagram it's like I don't think I need to do that anymore. That is dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's a, that should be illegal. What are we doing? Um, <laughs> um, so I don't ride anymore um, because I really found that my drive is to compete. And um, I have, I take care of two horses. One of them is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the horse, my horse has got, he's got heaves. He's got arthritis. He does not need to be ridden anymore. I bought him as a competition horse. And then like, you know, the next year he got diagnosed with heaves. So we couldn't do cross country anymore. The year after that, he got ring bone. I was like, all right, you don't want to be ridden. Right. Um, right. And for me, I love, I love people like you who like do a lot of trail riding and riding for pleasure. That's not me though. Like mm-hmm. if I'm going to ride, I need to be like working up for a competition. Yeah. Um, so eventually I might, I might be in a place where I get a competition horse again, but for now, um, I partner with them for the mental health therapy and they're really, really wonderful therapists. Um, and they're really, really wonderful lawn ornaments and they're yeah. very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Do you, um, do you keep them like home with you or are you in a, a barn situation? Um, sort of, I sort of neither. I, uh, lease a property that's a barn and two acres. Um, okay. and it's about 10 minutes from my house yeah. um, and it works out really well. I, for a while when I was in Kentucky, I lived on a farm and I loved that when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. And I think whenever I stop leasing this barn and do something different and get a competition horse in the future, whatever, I'll board them somewhere because we just got dumped with like 10 inches of snow here in the mountains. And the anxiety I've had the last two or three days is like, is out of control. Yeah. (laughs) Is out of control because I can't get to them and I'm worried about them. And so I need, I want to, I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to pay someone else, somebody, someone else's job to take care of them. And then I'll call every few days and be like, are they still left? All right, bye. See you yeah. when the snow's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying them right now. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. That seems like a, a nice, a nice setup. And yeah. I, I completely understand with the, the whole heaves and having to deal with that. I just uh, lost my old man. Uh, after Thanksgiving after mm. I mean honestly every time I talk about him people be like oh he's still here so like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like uh it was like uh, you know the veterinarians were like you're still doing this I'm like uh-huh. it's fine it's fine we're still working 
it's fine. But um, I, I hope that his uh, he still has a very long and yeah. therapeutic Zen life uh, as as he battles that. Yeah, he seems happy. <laughs> good, 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 good. What advice could you give a young black equestrian uh, today? Mm. I think what pops to mind is something that you said earlier, um, but just to find people that look like you who are doing what you're doing. Um, and that can be on social media. Like it's, it's wonderful, like you said, to be in like physical community with people. Like I'm imagining you and your folks, like after you go riding and like doing your campfire and like being in community with other black people, like that's the dream. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who live in um, communities where that's not as accessible, like following people on the internet and like getting in touch with them and like reaching out and being like I love what you're doing and, like just like building a community virtually I think is so important and not just following Instagram accounts of people who of white people I think seeing someone who looks like you doing what you're doing yeah. um, that's what I could have used as a young black equestrian just to like that inspiration to like keep going right um, and not feel so not feel so alone or isolated mm -hmm. or like I was the only one doing it so that's yeah. my that's my advice find find your community in whatever way that it looks like for you yeah I love that I love that so how can our listeners our YBE fam how can we get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you more about your coaching and consultations more about the program at the herd institute like i'm gonna get those links afterwards but just tell us how we can get uh in touch with you yeah yeah the best way is just through my website um www.elizabethmccorvey.com e-l-i-z-a-b-e-t-h-m-c-c-o-r-v-e-y.com Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I absolutely like just enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. Me too. Thanks for making this happen. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for tuning in to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player as well as over on YouTube. And you know what? Do me a favor. Leave a review over on Apple Podcasts doing that makes it so that this platform and this content get shared with black equestrians all over the world. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I will see you next time.